Welcome to Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis, your host. As a writer, speaker, and former legislator, we discuss limiting government, fiscal responsibility, and fair taxation. I'm a mother of seven and a wife of one for over three decades, so I bring you my personal experience. And now it's time for Homefront with Cynthia Davis. Another happy edition of Homefront. I am so grateful that we could come together tonight. We have an awesome guest. So buckle your seatbelts. We are about to do something tremendous. Tonight we have John McManus, who is the president of the John Birch Society. For those of you who are not familiar with the John Birch Society, they provide Americans with the educational materials, programs, campaigns, and organizational leadership to restore our constitutional republic. What is there not to love about that? And on their website, it says, less government, more responsibility, and with God's help, a better world. So thank you for joining us, John. How are you doing tonight? Doing very well, thank you. Nice to be with you. Well, we're honored. The honor's all mine and all the thousands of people who are listening to you. So what can you give us a little bit of a background for those who, this is a new topic, what is the John Birch Society? Well, let me start off with a quote from Thomas Jefferson. He said, I know of no safe depository of the ultimate powers of the society, but the people themselves. And if we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with a wholesome discretion, the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform their discretion by education. Uh, that, that, that is what the John Birch Society has sought to do. Our society was formed in December of 1958 as an educational organization, and we have never departed from that. But we do also, in addition to education, recommend action. We recommend that people be in touch with their local representatives at state and federal level. We recommend that people reach out to others and not just sit there and be the smartest guy in town. So uh, an educational program. And we also believe that there is a conspiracy working to steal our freedom and to lead our country into the new world order. And the way to combat a conspiracy is to expose it. Right. We've done a lot of that. And we've been ridiculed by the establishment for doing so. But we continue, and we've had a lot of success over the years here and there. We're looking for more success. And one of the ways we find more people to help us is to go on radio shows like yours. And sometimes people respond favorably to what they hear, and then they contact us at uh, our website and get busy in the John Bird Society. It's a matter of connecting the dots for people because most people have the American spirit. We love our country. We want to do what we can. And there's nothing wrong with being the smartest guy in town. It's just that we need to get those guys up off of the armchair and get them out into where their information and knowledge can actually be put into effect and make a difference because – 
having us be uh, strapped down in front of the TV isn't getting us there. <laughs> well, you're so not going to be well informed that we're sitting in front of the TV. I, that's for certain. <laughs> well, we also want I... people who, who know how to read and who, who like to read. In fact, we say that those who will not read have no advantage over those who cannot read. That's and, true. Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who've given up on reading, and they just want to get their information from the tube, and and, and sometimes just from the internet. Well, there's good stuff on the internet, but there's also a lot of garbage. So, you have to be careful. John, uh, you've been with the John Birch. Obviously, you said the John Birch Society began in 1958. That was before I was born. How long have you been with the John Birch Society? I joined the society in 1964. And uh, I I became a chapter leader and uh, then a leader of several chapters and started a speaker's program and everything else. And the people at the society offered me a job. They said, we want you to come to work for us. I said, well, I don't need to go to work for you. I'm going to keep at this. No, no, we want you to work for us. So I left my job as an electronics engineer in 1966 and took a position with the society. I've been at that. Now it's, what, 47 years. Uh, in 1991, I always tell people, I say, if you hang around long enough, sometimes they make you president. Which they <laughs> did in 1991. So well, uh, I've got a lot of experience in the John Birch Society. I don't suppose there's anybody alive today that has more. And uh, it's been a wonderful ride for me. Uh, I've traveled the country. I've given speeches in all 50 states. I continue to do that. Uh, I'm not as young as I used to be, obviously, but uh, still got a lot of energy. And I do a lot of writing, and uh, I do a lot of radio shows. I do a lot of uh, organizing, and uh, what you'd expect in a kind of an organization we are. Well, our energy comes from knowing we're making a difference. And our courage comes from our righteousness, knowing that our cause deserves to be articulated. And so in the course of the 47 years, can you tell us a few of the highlights or the victories that the John Birch Society has enacted? Well, years ago there was a plan to to amend the Constitution, and it was called the Equal Rights Amendment. And it wasn't for equal rights. What it was was to divide families and to uh, uh, build the power of government, not only over men but over women as well. And it was much more that than it was supposedly for equal rights. So we got involved in in exposing that and, and sharing the danger with a lot of people, especially at the state legislative level. And it was defeated. It never did become part of the... Uh, Constitution of the United States. We've also like, been involved heavily in protecting the Constitution from a constitutional convention. There's only been one of those in the history of our country, and it occurred when the Articles of Confederation were still the law of the land. Uh, the, the men who were charged with running a constitutional convention used the power that a constitutional convention has. It's not limited. And they... they ditched the Articles of Confederation and gave us the Constitution of the United States. Uh, so with that experience, with that history, we know that a constitutional convention would be dangerous, that the Constitution we have could be completely 
uh, done away with and something new put in its place. So we've been successful well, at that as well. And, and oh, a lot of other little things here and there. We stopped the American Indian Movement. We, we, uh, we brought up about tremendous awareness about the aid and trade that was going to the enemy during the Vietnam War. And what, so what, on what and so on. It? We've exposed John, the United Nations. Us. Now it's your turn. <laughs> what is the American Indian Movement? Well, it doesn't exist anymore. But way back, I guess it was about 30 years ago or maybe more, I had a bunch of renegade Indians, uh, actually all of them criminals. They seized control of an area in South Dakota, and they declared themselves uh, an independent nation. They wanted to get foreign aid from communist nations in Europe and wage war on the United States from within. And we exposed that, <clears throat> and we informed a lot of American Indians who thought that these were the good guys, that, no, they're not the good guys, they're the bad guys. And the movement kind of fizzled and it went away. So that's just another one of the examples of what can be done with good information. You can stop a bad program and you can start a good one, and that's what we've been doing for all these years. Well, the problem with the ERA, Equal Rights Amendment, is it was, like, Congress tends to have a habit of doing, they name the bill the exact opposite of what it really does. And like That's right. They, they call the, uh, the um, health care mandate the Affordable Care Act, and there's nothing affordable, <laughs> and it certainly is not, you know, who can be against Equal rights. I mean, it sounds good, yet the people who because, wanted oh, it, well, they, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like anything, here we are fighting against uh, really ourselves, seeing our own Congress come up with ideas without a background in economics. You know, we think that those we send to Washington D.C. are the best and brightest, but really, what they're they are is the best and brightest on how to run a campaign. <laughs> well, the, so, the goal of people who get elected to Congress is to get reelected. It's not mm -hmm. to do what's right. It's not to stand by their oath to the Constitution. It's not to uh, uh, bring about less government. It's to bring about more government and then get reelected by buying the votes of the people with public money, and that's been going on a long time, and it's got to stop. I mean, our country can't continue to exist uh, with the indebtedness that's being run up and the threat of international money under the United Nations and so on. I've even written a book on that subject, but <laughs> maybe you want to get into it, maybe you don't. Well, before we go there, because you already touched on the Constitutional Convention, I want to dwell on that for a minute because that threat is not over. It is still coming up every year in many state legislatures. And when I was in the Missouri State Legislature, and I've not been gone that long, but there, we always went on one of the junkets that that the legislators go on. Uh, we were at a conference in Washington, D.C., put on by the, by the American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC for short, and they came up, well, they, there were some gentlemen who wanted to take the legislate, all the legislators from Missouri out to dinner. 
and they always take you to the finest steakhouse in the whole city. So Washington, D.C. has quite a few nice places. And I enjoyed, obviously, a good steak, as most of us do. My my pardon to all the vegetarians listening. <laughs> but I went to learn. And, and you know what? It behooves all of us to learn, job number one. And the gentlemen who were taking out to, taking us out to dinner were from a very nice-sounding group, the Barry Goldwater Institute. Now, what is there not to love about Barry Goldwater? I remember a few years ago when I read his book, The Conscience of a Conservative, and it was so helpful to organizing my own philosophy and my thoughts on what is a conservative that I, my husband and I actually read the book out loud to each other. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, well, we have to learn what we are. And we, you know, some people cannot articulate who they are and what they believe, but when they hear it, then it resonates and they're, aha, that's what my heart has been telling me all along. I just didn't have the right words. I didn't put it into a sentence. Now that I've heard somebody else like Barry Goldwater explain it to me, I can go forth and explain it to others. So, of course, the Barry Goldwater Institute sounded like they were carrying on his legacy, and they were the, one of the groups that was pushing this Article 5 Constitutional Convention. And their point was that it's a shambles already, that nobody's regarding the Constitution, so what's it going to hurt to have a Constitutional Convention and limit the topics? Well, maybe it's because I have seven children. I don't, I don't get duped that easily, and I'm not that naive. And whenever somebody has a there is no guarantee, bottom line. There is no guarantee if we have, I'm sure the people on the left would love it if we would convene a constitutional con convention and then our constitution actually gets shredded. Another document comes forth that may be very anti-American and we're all now obligated to live under that. So what you said in your New American piece is the John Birch Society has led the movement to prevent a constitutional convention, short for the shortened word is a con-con, for over three decades now. Most of the conservative proponents of a con-con have claimed they only want to bring a constitutional convention for the limited purpose of proposing one or a few amendments, such as a balanced budget amendment, a national debt relief amendment, term limits, etc. But we have maintained that any such constitutional convention could not be limited as to which amendments would be considered and how many, and therefore could become a runaway convention. And if we ever had one, I would ask, how could we have been so stupid, as the rest of the people who lost their freedom would have said? Do you have anything else you want to share with us about what's happening uh, with the, this new Article 5 premise? Well, one of the uh, issues that people are pushing for a constitutional convention as you mentioned, is a balanced budget. Now, if you have a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution, it has to be approved by two-thirds of both houses of Congress and three-quarters of the states. And at the same time, if you wanted a balanced budget, 
Congress could do it with a majority vote in both houses of Congress without amending the Constitution. So Any day we, they want. There's something wrong here. The people who are pushing this balanced budget want to go along around the, the bend uh, way of, of accomplishing it and endanger the entire Constitution in the process when all they have to do is get a 51% of the House and 51% of the Senate, and you'd have a balanced budget amendment without touching the Constitution. So there's, there's yeah. something funny about some of these people that have this idea. They don't like the idea that the John Birch Society comes and explains that you don't need a constitutional convention to balance the budget, and you don't need a constitutional convention to do other things that they're talking about that they need done. They say, well... Uh, we got to have this, we got to have that. No, no. Uh, Congress has the power. Congress can stop the, the runaway spending, especially the House of Representatives, because the Constitution says that all bills for raising revenue have to originate in the House. And if the House you know, won't originate a bill to fund federal power over education or federal power in, in energy, federal power over the health movement and so on, that's it. Congress can stop all of that with a 51% majority. So what that's is the, the biggest... route to go. Of the Constitution course. of the United States is not at fault. What's at fault is the people who are running government aren't paying attention to it. They're not sticking by their oath. And that, of course, has to go back to the people themselves who allow this to happen and don't force members of Congress to obey that oath. Well, it's like saying I'm going to take the car keys away from my teenager because I don't like him sneaking out at night. And yet they can, you know, I mean, it just amazes me how we can't we can take the car keys away any day we choose to not elect the same group of people. The the people who are dishonoring the budget the people who are bloating it. What really surprised me, I spent eight years in the Missouri State Legislature as a Republican representative, and I fully understand why the Democrats are against being constitutional because they can't grow government bigger if it's truly limited, and some of the constitutional limitations on our spending can be cumbersome if you do want to grow government. What I don't understand is the Republicans who are in favor of the Constitutional Convention because they ought to uphold what we've got right now, knowing how dangerous it is. And yet, check your state, because every for several years, it has been the Republicans who filed these bills asking for a Constitutional Convention. And I bet you every state has Republicans now who are catching on to that idea and pro proposing it. So we need to start there by straightening out and really exposing what's going on. I'd like to talk with you a minute about the latest Supreme Court decision about the uh, homosexuality. And you wrote a fascinating article, actually Warren did, and it was entitled Florida Gay Partner Granted Green Card. And what he says... The U.S. officials issued a green card to a Bulgarian immigrant who lives in the U.S. with his partner in Florida, where their New York marriage is not recognized. On June 28th, 
just two days after the Supreme Court decision that struck down the Federal Defense of Marriage Act, DOMA for short, that denied federal benefits to members of same-sex marriages, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services notified Trien Popiev, a Bulgarian immigrant who lives with his American partner, that his application for a permanent visa, green card, had been approved. Popov and Julian Marsh, who has joint U.S.-Canadian citizenship, were, were wed in New York where the same-sex marriage is legal. Their marriage is not recognized in Florida where they currently live. Now, what's going on with the green cards and with the new Supreme Court decision? Are they now saying that previously we didn't recognize marriage if it was between homosexuals and now they're going to be opening the door for all the friends of people who perform perverted acts to come into our borders legally? Well, first of all, the federal government should have nothing to say about marriage. And that would mean that the Supreme Court should have nothing to say about marriage. Uh, marriage should be between a man and a woman. Anything else is a perversion. It's a complete breaking of all kinds of morality over centuries. Certainly it's a perversion of uh, the religious view that marriage is between a, a man and a woman. Uh, this is a breakdown of the culture in the United States, and a very important subject that most people don't want to talk about. But our culture is being destroyed, and when people start to go uh, toward the libertine end of things, they're inviting more government, and that's why these things are being promoted. Uh, more government involvement in Subjects like marriage, subjects like uh, uh, conduct of, of people, and of course it works its way down into the schools. Uh, the John Birch Society is very much in favor of homeschool. We're, we're very much opposed to federal involvement of any kind in the school system of our country. And we, we see what happens when the schools can't teach the absolute truths that led to our country's formation, and we get into all kinds of more government, more government, more government. On that subject, I'd like to mention that the philosophical base of the United States is contained in the Declaration of Independence. Two very small portions right at the beginning of that declaration. One of them says, men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And the second is, to secure these rights, governments are instituted. So here you have a statement that there is a God, and he gave us our rights, and we use our rights and powers to form a government for the purpose of protecting those rights and nothing more, not to redistribute the wealth, not to take control of people's lives, and so on. That's the philosophical base of the United States. It cannot be taught in the government schools that everyone in this country is forced to pay for. That's how far we have departed from where we should be. Uh, a teacher who starts to talk about the creator in a government school 
public school, they call it. I call it government school. We'll be called on the carpet. We'll be told to stop. And if he doesn't stop, he'll be fired. And there are people who have been fired for teaching what is in the Declaration of Independence that led to the formation of our country. We've departed a long way from where we should be. We've got to get back to it, and that's one of the reasons the John Birch Society exists. Well, let's talk about Obama's plan for America's preschoolers, because while I was in the legislature, one of my proudest accomplishments is I was successful at getting Planned Parenthood out of our public schools. And how I did this is I brought up to my legislative colleagues that the string of events, there's a chain. And if you follow, you know, a lot of people claim to be pro-life and they talk about how bad it is for all these people to go out and kill their babies. But what they don't realize is that abortion is only a symptom. It is a symptom of a problem that began much earlier in the chain. Where did it start? It started when the kids, I, I actually learned this interesting lesson from talking to my senator when I was explaining to him the premise behind my bill and why that the more there, we have the abortion providers teaching the sex ed classes, the more it's causing business for them. And he said to me, Cynthia, you know what, I think you are right because and, and this is not a conservative senator necessarily either, but this is his famous quote. He said, you know, I never even thought about sex before we took the class, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it ever since. <laughs> and so I do what happens to a teenager. Exactly. You fill their heads with all the techniques and all the tools and all the tricks, and then you say that, but we... uh we expect it's better if you actually wait till you get married. They cover it with the one sentence, and, and they're not even saying that anymore. They're giving children the assumption that you're supposed to do things with your bodies. It's natural. It's normal. And, in fact, we're expecting it. And, therefore, when you get pregnant, we want you to come visit us because we've got a solution. More children will get pregnant if they're taking birth control than if they aren't. And that's a concept that shocks a lot of people because they're like, well, I thought that was supposed to stop the teen pregnancies. But no, what it does is it tells them you've got a license. So what I'm excited about is this article by Art Thompson that he just published recently, and he says that there, uh, Obama has some plans for early childhood education that includes sex education for preschoolers. And I ask you, how possibly could a Washington, D.C. bureaucracy grow to such a level? And, and for my listeners who aren't aware of this, the, you would expect the Democrats to be in favor of this and the Republicans to stand against it. But actually, the Republican Party has in its platform that they're calling on more support for programs like Head Start. And so they, it's not enough to let school begin. In Missouri, we have a compulsory edge of, age of education that begins when a child turns eight. And there are efforts to bring it down to three. There are some who even want the children from birth. Can you comment on that? Well, one of the reasons that some people are doing this is because of broken families and because of the uh, 
families where they have to have two incomes to maintain a standard of living. And if you go down to the root of that, why why is it that when I was growing up, there weren't too many families that, where both the mom and the dad had to work, and there were very few families that were single-parent families. Divorce was not very popular and not very prevalent. So sometimes people, uh, without thinking about the consequences, say, well, government's got to help these people out, so we got to take control of their children while they go on and living. And this is a terrible, terrible uh, way to go about things. What we need to do is to go back to some of the basics, reduce the size and power of government so that one income for a family will suffice. And uh, there are many reasons why that one income doesn't suffice anymore. One of them is the terrible corruption of our currency and inflation. And we could talk about that if you'd like. Well, uh, talking about corruption of currency um, is a great topic. Are you involved at all with the uh, push to audit the Federal Reserve? Absolutely. Federal Reserve is 100 years old this this year. It was started in 1913. And when it started, the dollar was worth 100 pennies, and today the dollar is worth two pennies. And it's traceable to the Federal Reserve. Now, a lot of people have been given a wrong definition of inflation. They think it's rising prices. It's not. Inflation is an increase in the quantity of currency. If you increase the quantity of anything, then all of it becomes less valuable. If you found a beach that was full of diamonds instead of a sandy beach, you started spreading those diamonds around, what would happen to the value of everybody's diamond? It would go down. And that's what happens with dollars. The Federal Reserve has the power, the illegal, illicit power, to go ahead and to print money at, at will, and every time they print money, it takes on value by stealing a little bit of the value of everybody else's currency. I got a statistic just the other day. Uh, Ron Paul gave a little talk, and in his talk, he mentioned that we've lost close to 50% of the purchasing power of our money in just the last five years. Uh, if you go to the supermarket, a lot of your listeners do, and I'm sure a lot of people have to go to the supermarket, you know that the prices of everything have gone way, way up. Ron Paul says 50% of the purchasing power has been lost in the last five years. So what you were able to buy with $20 in your pocket five years ago takes $30 today. And the biggest proof of that is what they've done to our ice cream. I mean, years ago, whenever you bought a half gallon of ice cream, it was rectangular and it was 64 ounces. And they think we don't notice that we're getting gypped out of one bowl of ice cream every time. Now it's Then it started being 1.75 quarts, and now most of the ice cream is 1.5, and they think that we just, you know, we're supposed to get thin. <laughs> you shouldn't eat it anyway. But, not, no, I... We shouldn't blame the ice cream producers for this. <laughs> we, but the ice cream producers know that that, uh, that people are being defrauded. 
and and you're not being defrauded when you go and you buy something. If it used to be a two pound box and now you're buying a one point seven pound box, it's all marked. You can find that out. It might be the same price price as the two pound box, but what what has happened is the dollar has been destroyed, and it continues to be destroyed. And now we see the United Nations proposing uh, money that they will issue under the International Monetary Fund. Uh, if you if we lose the dollar, we lose our freedom. We lose our nation's independence. It's a very serious problem, and it's it's one of the problems that is destroying the family, and it's destroying a lot of other things besides. But I look upon the attack on the family as one of the most important and one of the most devious. Well, and there were the part of why we had two parents uh, trying to earn an income is so we could have more money to raise our standard of living. And we're not getting ahead at all if we have to spend more of it on the necessities to get along. Now, there's some people who feel like China has helped us because they have made the price of towels less expensive, toilet paper or whatever commodities. There's a Walmart in almost every city now. And they've bought gobs of things from China. Most of what you buy from Walmart is made in China. And there's an economic theory behind that, that we are all better off today because we're paying less for our goods because we're getting them with slave labor. Can you comment on that? Well, you don't have to go much further than what you just said, slave labor. You know, uh, there there is actually law in the in the government of the United States, uh, you're not allowed to import anything that's made with slave labor. So they they ignore that as well, and they go ahead and buy and force us to buy everything from China. Uh, part of the problem with America not producing its own goods anymore is NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Act, and now they want to have a free trade agreement between the United States and the European Union. Another one, a free trade act in the Pacific with uh, Singapore and uh, Japan and a lot of other countries. Uh, we don't need these things. You don't need a government to set up a free trade program. What you need is people dealing with people. They want to have a there free was, trade agreement with Canada. Well, actually, there was a Walmart customer who found a message from China with her purchase of Halloween decorations warning her that these products were produced with slave labor and how China's factories motivate their workers. So somebody over there in a slave labor situation is paying attention to this and trying to communicate with us. Art Thompson recently wrote an article that is on the jbs.org website called China's Vast New Program of Urbanization. And his, his point is, he says, China has long been home to some of the world's tiniest villages and its most congested, polluted examples of urban sprawl. And here we are now. The ultimate goal of the government's modernization plan is to fully integrate 70% of the country's population, or roughly 900 million people, into city living by 2025. So, I mean, 900 million is like three times the population of the United States, 
and they want to make them leave their rural areas and get into the cities. I physically saw what happened in there's an attempt and don't think this is just happening over in China. We're bring, we're bringing that mentality here. There are people. I own a Christian bookstore and I had a customer come in a few days ago wanting to know if I had a couple books on this new urbanization that we're going to have. If everybody will live in cities, we can create an efficiency and then we'll use less electricity and and coal and whatever the water and it will be by we'll the be able to watch them a lot easier too. <laughs> yes, and so what what they're trying to do is bring it here. I took a trip to California in April and we toured the University of California campus in Davis and. No, they did not name the city after Cynthia Davis, but nevertheless, you have to, if you're going to go to Davis, if you're a Davis, you should go to Davis. And I was looking around and there was this new modern complex. It looked just like one of these Chinese cities. They're stacking people on top of each other and it's supposed to look very urban and contemporary and this is the new image, kind of sleek. And, of course, everything looks attractive when it's brand new and still under warranty. What they're not showing us is what it's going to look like 10 years later or 20 years later when the problems emerge and it's no longer brand new and shiny and we've got everybody stuck. And and why we would be copying a communist model over there in China behooves me to, you know, can you please uh, explain that one to us? I can't. I can't defend it. But, uh, one of the things that uh, you didn't mention about this this movement in China is that they're taking pe- forcing them off the land. They're forcing people who were the food producers to go into cities and to try to find a job. Uh, I've written on this subject myself, and I quoted a, a little Chinese man who said, "Now I'm a night watchman." He said, "For centuries, my family." farm that area and now I can't live there anymore. Uh, it's population control and it's population reduction that they're really after. Uh, we have the same problem here in the United States with this Agenda 21. In 1992, the United Nations convened a monstrous conference in Rio de Janeiro. It was supposedly about uh, urban development and uh, environmental development. And out of it came an 1,100-page book called Agenda 21. And 21 is for implementation in the 21st century, which is where we are. And you can read in that publication that they mean to control everybody on Earth. Uh, and they've, they've moved into a lot of communities around the country but by having them sign on to programs and not telling anybody it's a United Nations program. Well, the John Birch Society began to expose this about two years ago. And of the hundreds of communities that have already accepted this, I think about 20, 25% of them have now pulled out of it and said, no, we don't want to have anything to do with this. You never told us it was a United Nations program. You never told us what the real goal of this thing was. So we see it happening here on a much less smaller scale than what is happening in China. 
but it's the same kind of program. It's population control. It's, it's an intent to take control of people at the local level, and then they will have these population shifts, and they'll get people off the land, and they'll get people into the cities and where they can be watched more carefully, and then they will destroy the food production of our country. And it, it's all very, very nefarious, very, very uh, dangerous. And uh, it might sound a little bit severe from what I'm saying, but unfortunately I can back it up. Actually, it's not just you, John. I want you to hear from Melissa Harris Perry, and we're going to play her actual clip. This is somebody who is uh, on a higher level speaking as a liberal on why the children need to belong to everybody. Listen to this we one. Have never invested as much in public education as we should have because we've always had kind of a private notion of children. Your kid is yours and totally your responsibility. We haven't had a very collective notion of these are our children. So part of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. Once it's everybody's responsibility and not just the household, then we start making better investments. Now, by the word better investment, can I translate that for you? <laughs> she means Melissa Perry, Melissa Harris Perry. And what she's really saying is the word investment is code for more taxpayer dollars going toward programs. And I ran into a humorous little, um, humorous now, but a, a little experiment on American values when there was the the Democrat Department of um, Home uh, was head of Health and Human Services sent a memo to all of the legislators and she said can uh, you please advise your constituents about all the free summer feeding programs and the memo started out by saying School's out for summer, but hunger never takes a break. And therefore, we are going to make sure that all these hungry children are fed. Well, who in their right mind is against feeding hungry children? Nobody. But is it right to institutionalize them? Is that how low we've gone that the only solution if parents aren't doing their job is government needs to grow bigger? I think not. The premise of America and what made America great was when we said, we will be strong, we will take care of ourselves, and we will do it without the interference of other people. And and we did it. We broke away from England. We said, if you're wrong, we'll, we'll take care of our own country. Thank you very much. <laughs> and so that fierce independence is what makes us brave. It's what makes us human. It's what makes us free market. And so when I said, you know, I really all I did was question the program in a private email to my constituents, and when that got uh, national attention, um, and I was four times mentioned on the Keith Oberman show as being the worst person in the world, and what surprised me about this 
is not that the Democrats would pull away from me, but the Republicans pulled away. They're like, oh, you shouldn't say that. That makes you sound like you don't care. No, no, we do care very much. We care enough that we're willing to fight for the family, that we're willing to say what's right and what's wrong. And it's right for parents to feed their children. And, And if the parents can't feed their children, then let's help the parents feed their children. That's the right way to approach it. That can only happen, though, one on one, neighbor with neighbor, parishioner with church, people who know the situation and can intervene. But the reality is a lot of the people who want the free stuff don't really – it's just a free stuff thing, you know? You get it? <laughs> we've That's fallen right. I get in, it. We've family, fallen they, in love. The family is the basic unit of society. You can destroy the family, you can destroy the society, you can destroy the whole country. And there's a lot of attacks on the family. We've talked about some of them. Some of them are financial, but others, uh, the constant uh, drumming into people of the, 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 the rot that's on television and at the movie theaters and so on, that helps to destroy the family as well. Uh, people consider marriage uh, an extended date. And... Uh, can drop your date anytime you feel like it. There's no commitment. The children suffer. Country goes down. We're in trouble. The United States of America is in trouble. Now, the John Birch Society believes in less government. We've already talked about that. But we also believe in more responsibility, and that's part of our motto. Less government, more responsibility, and with God's help, a better world. So less government under the Constitution more responsibility, where do we turn to that? We turn to the Ten Commandments. And they're not the Ten Suggestions. They're the Ten <laughs> Commandments. So well, if you have the Constitution in the United States to control the government, and you have freely accepted moral codes like the Ten Commandments governing the people, you have a good, solid country. You have a good, solid citizenry. That's what we're trying to bring back in the John Birch Society. Sweet. Hey, um, let me talk to you about the Freedom Index. There are a lot of people who want to hold their elected officials accountable. And and the truth is that when I was in city government for eight and a half years, we had more accountability because I actually lived in my community. When I moved to the state government, uh, there wasn't the same panic over sunshine laws and what happens. I mean, people were actually a lot more relaxed, and it was easier to do whatever we wanted because not that I would, but the rest of them had less accountability. I am sure Washington, D.C. is worse yet. They stuff so many different ideas into one bill that you can say you give cover to everybody. We've got so much good and bad loaded up in this same bill that you've got plenty of reasons to tell your constituents that you voted for it because of this or you voted against it because of that. And we don't have accountability except for your Freedom Index. So this is the John Birch Society Congressional Scorecard based on what? The U.S. Constitution. We have turned all the elected officials into 
judging them based on who can bring home the bacon. And what I find refreshing about the Freedom Index is you actually measure people according to the Constitution. Now, what surprised me about that, this is Missouri Grassroots Radio, and the highest-ranking member of this from Missouri is Blaine Lukemeyer, who got a 72%, and it surprised me because he is not known as being one of the most constitutional legislators. But there are other states that have elected officials who get even more a higher score than he does. How do you plan this, and how does your, your Freedom Index work? Well, the Freedom Index is it rates all members of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senators on legislation that they have voted on. Uh, the most recent Freedom Index we see a vote here for uh, something about illegal immigration. We see Obamacare repeal. We see Keystone Pipeline to help us to become independent in energy. Minimum wage legislation, uh, short-term debt limit increase, and so forth. So we take ten issues that we think are important, and then we go to simply the voting record of each of the members of the U.S. House. We publish all 435 names with their scores and their votes on the different subjects that we've just mentioned. And some of your legislators in Missouri come up with 70%. Some of them come up with 10% or, or even less. So this is, this is done, and a lot of these congressmen and senators don't like the idea of this. They don't want the people to know how they're voting. And then they would disagree with us about, well, you know, I voted uh, against this or I voted for that because... Uh, I think it's a good idea or a bad idea, and I voted against it, but that's not the test that we put on it. We put a test on it, whether or not it, it, it abides by the Constitution. In other words, so if somebody, somebody votes for funding for education, they can make a case, oh, yeah, we got to spend more money on education. But there's no authorization in the U.S. Constitution for the federal government to have anything to say about education. So voting for funds for the education program, which leads to control over education at the federal level, will get you a, a, an X on our voting record, our, our freedom index. So we publish this, and then people take it to the town meetings, and they take it to the uh, gatherings of the congressmen and the senators when they come, and then questions and answers are, are uh, asked for, and people say, well... Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, I see where you voted for this and this and this and this. Uh, I disagree with you on that, and I want you to stop doing that. Well, that gets a lot of attention, and then people say, well, I want to see a copy of that Freedom Index. Where is it? So we print them up, and, and members take these to the uh, town meetings and pass them out, and, and it has quite an impact. There are some I'm people sure who, who just don't want this. Uh, they, they don't want their scores to be known by the people who are supposed to elect them. Right, and that's critical that we hold people accountable. So I urge all of you listening to this show to go to the website, thenewamerican.com, and you well, can get to tell the... everybody that The New American is the magazine of the John Birch Society. So we have a couple of websites. We have jbs.org, and then we have The New American, all one word, uh, the, the new com, and then you can go and you can look at the, con the con 
conservative index, the Freedom Index, or you could order copies of it from the John Birch Society via the abs.org. Nice. Either way, now, get a copy of this, and then you'll know what your congressman is doing. You'll know what your two senators are doing. And some of them will be glad that you know what they're doing, and some of them will not be glad that you know what they're doing. Well, I always liked it when people knew what I was doing because that was the only backing I ever got. You know, well, it's did, pretty lone. Mm-hmm. Why did you leave the uh, state house? Did you get my? <laughs> the voters in my state voted in term limits, which means after eight years you have to go bless the world somewhere else. And oh, so I am. <laughs> I'm constitutionally prohibited from ever running for this office again. But, oh. hey, you know, that's that actually was a movement that swept the states back in the 90s, and some states have repealed it or, or not done it, but Missouri is one where, uh, let me give you my opinion on term limits. A lot of people who are in favor of the term limits believe that you'll sweep out all the bad blankety blank thugs out there <laughs> that we don't want them and so if we do term limits we'll get rid of them finally what they don't realize is it sweeps out the good and the bad together and then how many bad people come in to replace the good person who left and even if you get a good person to replace another good person then how long is it going to last before that person gets polluted or corrupted or thrown into the soup or shoved to the back dark, dusty corner? Or what if you get a good person to replace the bad per- the, the good huh? All the good people who come in because of term limits are going to be ineffective for the first couple years while they're in the freshman category. So when I left, I was the chairman of the children and families. I enjoyed that. I was in one of the most powerful committees of the Missouri House of Representatives. I got to have my hand on the faucet of of all the legislation. So that that came through our committee, and that, that was a wonderful feeling. But nevertheless, we are about to right the ship. And and what I like about you, John, is you're going to end the show with us tonight by giving us some encouragement and some strategies and some ideas so we don't have to wring our hands and go home feeling sorry about the whole mess we've inherited. I'd like to hear, I've got a, a quote from D.L. Moody, who lived back in the 1800s. Now, I didn't even know they knew what communism was back then. But here's his quote. Either these people are to be evangelized or the, or the leaven of communism and infidelity will assume such enormous proportions that it will break you in a, oh my God, it will break you in a reign of terror such as this country has never known before. So well, he, once he, he yeah. read the Communist Manifesto, of course, that came out in 1848. And in the Communist Manifesto, you'll find an attack on marriage, you'll find a, an attack on the family, you'll, you'll uh, an attack on private property, and you'll you'll see an urging for a federal takeover of schools. You'll see an urging for the Federal Reserve System and for the income tax and so on. So he obviously had read the Communist Manifesto, and he knew that if 
they got their way that this country would be going down. And, of course, they're getting their way. And it's time for the American people to say, I don't want any more of this. Let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to the Constitution. Let me mention this, too, that if the Constitution of the United States were fully enforced as it exists today, the federal government would be 20% its size and 20% its cost. <laughs> there would be no federal involvement in education, housing, energy, health, medicine. There would be no foreign aid. There would be no undeclared wars. There would be less government right across the board, and uh, that would be certainly something. So we want to protect the Constitution, but then we want to make sure the people who go down there and swear an oath to it abide by that oath. And that's one of the goals of the John Birch Society. Well, going back to the D.L. Moody quote, how has the failure of the church to make converts and to help people set their values according to the Ten Commandments, how has that allowed communism to permeate this country? And is well, there any know, advice? It, it doesn't. Priests and ministers don't become communists. Communists become priests and ministers. And it was a deliberate attempt to infiltrate the churches, to get people into powerful positions who really are not adherents of the faith that they claim to be adherents to. And there's a lot of information that has been published on that subject. Oh, let me say it again. Priests and ministers don't become communists. Communists become priests and ministers. So is there any advice that you have for the church today, or is our only hope through political activism? Well, and, and it's, like, it's like the same thing regarding the country. You've got a constitution. Make sure people obey that. And you've got uh, rules and regulations in the, in the various churches. People should stand by those. And, and they don't. I happen to be Roman Catholic, and I know that there's an awful lot of infiltration into my church. Uh, I know that uh, good friends of mine who are in the different Protestant sects, that they say the same thing. So these people aren't really uh, adherents of the faith. They're, they're destroyers from within. And that has happened in all of the churches. People have let well, down their guard. And, and when the people let down their guard, anything can happen. I say God, G-U-A-R-D. When they let down yeah. their guard, guard, anything can happen, and uh, we see it happening. That so America believe... would go to a country uh, where we have same-sex marriage, where we have widespread abortion, where we have the degradation in the films and on the television. It's, it's, it's just tragic, and it's got to stop. Mm -hmm. People got to well, get but... together and work together. We urge them to take a look at the John Birch Society, jbs.org. I think people who are concerned, and there are many, many Americans today who are concerned, they, they're beginning to worry. Well, take a look at what the John Birch Society has to offer. We'll be glad to hear from anybody. Well, I am honored that I got to talk to you tonight. Thank you so much for enlightening us, John. If people want to get a hold of you for more, jbs.org is the place. And I just want to thank you for sharing your insights with us. It's been a great show. And will you come on again with us sometime? Certainly. I'll come back. I'll, <laughs> I always like to get invited back. Sometimes I don't get invited back, but that's usually with a liberal commentator. So thank there you for your time on the air. And uh, it's been a delight to talk to you and to your audience. And 
Yes, we can do it again sometime. This has been another edition of Homefront on Missouri Grassroots Radio. I'm Cynthia Davis and hope you enjoyed our program. Please join us next week when we offer another infusion of truth, honesty, and solutions that will grow people bigger and shrink government smaller. Thank you for joining us. See you next week.